And I really, honestly, prayed to Heavenly Father for a lot of years saying, why did you make me wrong? Help me like cooking and sewing more. <laughs> Help me like these things that are in the box. And finally, you know, I came to a point, I had some really strong revelation in the temple one day, that the Lord did not make me wrong. He made me right. He just needed me to do be different to help him with the work he needed to do. And now I'm just like, let's not judge each other. Let's really try to just give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't know what's in their patriarchal blessing. We don't know what God's telling them to do. So why do we judge? It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, my guest is Susan Madsen. Now, we're not going to get too much into who Susan is because she's been here before. You can go back and listen to episode 392, which she was a part of, and also back in episode 337. So find those wherever you found this episode, 337 and 392, to learn more about who Susan is. Uh, but I think it probably would suit us to let people know, just on a very base level, what it is that you do, Susan. So thank you. It's good to be back on your show. So yeah, basically, I am a professor, I'm a scholar, and I've been writing. I, I'm at Utah Valley, or Utah State University. I used to be at Utah Valley University. And my focus is really girls and women and leadership. So I run the Utah Women and Leadership Project for the state, but I also do a lot of national and global work and have done research in, in other countries. One of my biggest passions, however, through all of the research I've done for decades is to really research the lifetime development of women leaders and figure out how do we raise more girls and young women and women to be leaders. So you just asked the question that I think will encompass the entirety of our time. How do we better raise our our girls and our women to be the leaders not only of, of tomorrow, but of today? Yeah, well, first of all, there's there's so many areas that we need to lead, men and women, uh, from community to church to to families to schools and universities and so forth. So that is a big question that, that I've been writing about for years. And one of the things that I really work a lot specifically with people in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but even other religious settings, is that I really believe that we have to work from the time they're girls and young women to try and get them to even see themselves as leaders, mm-hmm. to want to aspire to lead, to have any kind of ambition of leadership in any way. And I'm talking about church or politics or any kind of leadership, and them to understand it's actually important for them to do so. And I think that we're doing a better job. Uh, maybe we're not. I mean, this is your life's work, so I would be curious. Are, are we doing a, a better job of allowing women to see it so that they may, in fact, be it? We're making we're making some progress, but we still have a lot of work to do. Um, it, you know, it, depending on where you live, I know you have listeners from all over. I do a lot of, st- of work in the in the in Utah, in the state of Utah, mm-hmm. but we still see lower numbers, and in all around the country and in different countries as well, we still see lower numbers of of women in leadership. Mm-hmm. We're moving the needle some. However, um, you know, we, there's still plenty of work to do. So we still get messages. I still almost every week have people tell me that they had a conversation with 
with their young women leader in church or in the or their neighbor that said, why are you, you know, doing, why are you trying to get a bachelor's degree? Don't, you really don't need education hmm. if you are going to raise kids. Hmm. So, and especially women that get a master's degree. And we're so behind in, in our state um, in terms of women getting master's degrees. So there's still these attitudes that that women are just, I'm putting that in quote marks, sure. <laughs> just going to raise kids. So why do they need to have a strong voice? Why do they need to be educated? Why do they, you know, all of these questions, I still get them. I think there's some movement, though. I really do. Let's put a laser focus on it within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, though. There aren't more auxiliaries that are led by women. Those women that lead those auxiliaries are certainly more visible, and that's a change of the last decade, maybe in last half of decade. But during, you know, LDS general conferences, we're not hearing from women more. Um, on ward levels, are are we seeing shifts where there were positions that were previously held by men where women are able to step into those roles? Or within the church, how are we seeing these things change? Well, one of the things uh, that I've—a a few years ago, I did do a study on missions. So, and one of the things we have seen of changes in sisters serving missions, particularly being a training leader. Mm-hmm. And so there has not really been training roles in most missions throughout the Church throughout all time. There have been some, because there's some districts or zones, I should say, that are like for visitor centers, like the Washington, D.C. Temple Visitor Center. So there have always been some, but very few. And so that change, I don't even know how long it's been, five, six, seven years maybe ago, Mm -hmm. that has been something that has changed. In terms of the ward and stake level, there have been some more coordinating councils and some regional levels as well, where women have now been invited to serve. Um, so, so there's have been some shifts, and there really are the primary and young women and really society. Those have been around for, for, you know, so many years. Sure. Um, and so there are specific areas, you know. However, of course, you know the the people on the stand, the bishopric, those kinds of things are 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 men, as you know. That's mm-hmm. that's just how how it is. And so you're right in that uh, there's there's been a little more visibility with women at the general level. Um, and you see women speak, I think at this last conference, I think there was, oh, I may not be exactly right, but it seemed like there was one woman in each of the five sessions. Mm-hmm. I, I'll have to I think I think it was myself. four overall, but I think we saw six or seven uh, with prayers added into it as well. Yeah. 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 So a little bit, a little shift there. Um but, but there still are leadership roles, and most of the leadership roles, even the mission one I just talked about, of women, really are women leading women or children, um, and, and that continues. There occasionally are women put in other roles where they can coordinate. For instance, I served a couple of times in what the, I can't even remember, it's been a number of years, the scout committee chairman, mm-hmm. I, you know, where, where I did lead and coordinate men or women. Um, so so that, that's kind of interesting, and you see some of those things. However, I have to tell you that I, I do a lot, or before the pandemic especially, I do a lot of work um, in, in Europe and, and really connections with the Area 70s and some firesides and different things. 
And one of the things that was so, I, I had tears when I heard that uh, there are women, I'm, now I'm forgetting the exact title, advisors at the, really at the area um, level with working in coordination with the area uh, presidencies. And so that was the first. Usually there's like up to stake release society presidents, and then you just go all the way to the general Relief Society presidency. Does that make sense? Yeah. And now uh, yeah. in Europe, at least, there's some women who are advisors that are in the middle. Yeah, that are essentially like, uh, for people to kind of understand, almost like Area 70s, but women. Which, yes. is, which is which is yeah. an interesting distinction that we have to say, like area authorities, but they're women, right? So when I have done firesides and work, like in Denmark and, and England and different things, and I've gotten to know stake release study presidents in those areas, and for the last number of years, oftentimes they will reach out to me just because they know and, and get some counsel. Sometimes they're struggling with how to have their voice heard Mm -hmm. when they're shut down, but there's nobody above them to really, unless you go all the way to the general presidency. So having that voice in the middle, um, when you really, it it is good to have women coaching each other because it really is different. Mm -hmm. Men and women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and And it's good to do that. So to me, that was an answer to part. Can I just say that that we have more women at those levels? So let me ask you then, turning it back to where the question began, I think that um, we all, hopefully, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't make such a blanket <laughs> statement. I, I think we all hopefully would say, hey, you know what? I think we benefit when there are all voices in a room making decisions, not just female, not just male, um, you know, and, and that can transcend into races and all, all the things, right? We want as many voices to be able to yeah. speak into things um, so that we can make the best sort of choices or vision for the future. Um, that That seems to be changing a little bit, but as we work with whether it's a calling that we're char- we're charged with young men uh, or young women, um, whether we're on a ward level and we interact with those young men and young women, uh, or um, we have the those young men and young women within our home, how can we help to empower female leaders, not only in the future, but today? I think you just outlined the business case, kind of. I mean, the business case of why you need men and women working together, young men, young women, is really clear. The research continues to say that you get more creativity, that you really serve people around you better, that you're more innovative on all of that. But what I think we need to do is just educate each other, whether it's young men or young women, on the, on the you know, the, sometimes the gender differences, but how, why and how it is really important for everyone to be in the conversation. If you just do it trying to include people here and there, I think the more we understand that, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and teaching each other skills. What I've realized through the years when I do workshops with male allies, like men who really want to do better, and, and by the way, there's many men in the church who say, I really want to do better, but give me some tools. Right. So the more that we can educate and give tools and help people understand, I'm doing a bunch of research right now on sexism mm-hmm. and understanding like the hostile sexism. We Most of us know that, but there's a form of benevolent sexism, but a lot of people don't see it. They don't know that 
that when you just ask like female candidates who are running for the city council, what are you going to do with your kids? And then you never ask the men the same thing. Mm. That, that actually, that's really sexist. And women, you know, just assuming that, that women, all women should stay home with kids or they shouldn't work or whatever is, is sexist. But a lot of times men don't understand that. A lot of times women don't. My point is that I think having more of these conversations and being open and uh, learning and growing and, and talking about these things is going to be helpful inside the church, even, um, you know, and in society at large. Does there seem to be different, because I can remember a talk from the mid-80s that would speak counter to what you're saying entirely, that the woman's most important job is within the walls of the home and that that's where people need to be and that they should eschew their working in. And, and that's obviously not where we're at now. And, and President Nelson, you know, the prophet and leader of the church today, has not echoed those sentiments of the 80s. But, but we're working more uh, against within our inner culture, in addition to everything that just plain basic society teaches. Absolutely. And you know what? Because you choose to, to work part-time or to be involved in the community does not mean that, that family is not first to you. Right. So there's this tension between kind of silos and all or nothing or, or this pull that if you work or go to school when you have little kids or whatever, that you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. However, it really isn't or. So oftentimes we, it's like either or in our minds. So, so, you know, you can be a great mom and motherhood is super important. And it can be, for me, it's been my most important role and not or, and I need to do other things that God has called me to do. And I believe that very strongly. He, I was, was felt very strongly in my patriarchal blessing in general that I should continue my education and get my education to prepare myself for, for what God needed me to do. Mm -hmm. So for me, people, everybody's got more than one calling and I feel called to mother. I feel called to be a mother and a grandmother and I, and that's my most important role. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I am really feeling called to do the work that I do in lifting girls and women in the church and, and generally around the world in Utah and so forth. So there's this thinking of either or that I think really gets us into trouble sometimes. And can I just put mm-hmm. out there that sometimes I really think that I'm putting my, this in quote marks, the seasons. Hmm. It can be dangerous and misused. Talk to um, me about that. Because people, yeah, people say, well, this is your season. So you're at home all full time with your kids. And then in another season, you can do this. And then in another season, you can do this. When in reality, women are gifted at integration and moving in and out and and multitasking and different things. And oftentimes I'll have women say, well, I didn't get to go to college. And so after all my kids are in school or when they're out of the house, then I'll go to college. But the research actually is quite clear that if you go even taking a class or so, your mental health is better, that you can actually do serve in your home and be available. And do. so it's, it's what becomes tricky in the church with women is that we as women and men often judge women significantly more than we judge men. Hmm. I want to take a break real quick. I want to come back and pick it up right there. We'll do that coming up in the second block of the Cultural Hall. 
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Uh, well, yeah, you know, we're here. It's the Cultural Hall. You can find us on Patreon, and sure, we love it when you do. Uh, when you pledge those various dollar levels a month, that allows us to have uh, great content. It allows us to have amazing equipment. It allows us to be able to continue to do the thing that we love doing and being able to share with you. So hop on over to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall make your pledge and do that monthly thing we love to have you do that and remember you get to be a part of that secret but not sacred facebook group when you become a patreon saint so hop on over and do that it's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall susan so you mentioned it's it's certainly a struggle and i don't think that anyone is like oh susan's up in the night this doesn't happen in our church we you know everything's fine we're just fine where i think it it becomes hard is Uh, say for me example, right? I hear you and I'm like, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, I don't operate on the church level in a silo. Uh, It's not just me. The decisions aren't just up to me. Um, Even the bishop, you know, who we kind of think he's the decision maker, those decisions uh, that are made aren't up to him in particular. When we have people, uh, you know, some people may say it's of the old guard or sort of old school or don't think this sort of way of empowering women to be leaders of tomorrow and leaders of today. How, how do you recommend that we say, hey, no, we need to do this without uh, or maybe we do need to be confrontational. I just wonder how we navigate doing that. I, again, I, I really go to awareness and, and um, education. I want to make a comment that, that I probably you and I have probably talked about this in past years. Uh, but there really is a difference in the church between doctrine and culture. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. I have six brothers. I have no sisters. <laughs> and and one of them just got released a couple of weeks ago from being a state president for, for eight years. And he had been a bishop. And another one's a bishop. And it's so fascinating when this one, my brother Tim, who's been a state president— I looked at, and I came and spoke for his take, but I looked at how he worked with women, and he was cutting edge. And I've, I've met others, too. There's some Area 70s in Europe that are just like this. But they're, they're not blocked by this culture of how to utilize women that's been throughout time. My, my brother has absolutely had women invited to meetings that culture has said only men should be in. He is actually, I mean, the first, the first month he was in his leadership role at the stake level, he invited the women, one of the women presidencies in and said, what revelation are you getting? Tell me how I can support you. Hmm. And they just sat there. They sat there because they're used to the men saying, here's what I want you to do. And he made it a practice with all the the women's groups to say, you know, you're called. You're the one getting inspiration. Tell me how I can support you. You get the inspiration and I'll support you. 
And so th- th- there's so many things in the church that I, it's still often like the teachers, not as much as there used to be, would stand at the door, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. greet people. And that's changed. But young women can do that. I mean, there's so many things that you really, they're, they're culture, they're traditions, but they're not doctrine. And so it's the, the men that really try to engage women, to engage youth, do, to those, you know, that are in leadership roles, can absolutely be creative in how to, you know, change things up so that young women, young men, and men and women really get their voices in places that, that traditionally only men have been. So I think there's just more... Um, it's exciting to see how some areas are really moving forward in this, and then some just, oh, that makes me uncomfortable to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Yet, we can do that. You know, it's an interesting conversation that as I look at like my own biases or just like my own privilege, this is something that I had never considered uh, until about seven or eight years ago. Um, Nylan McBain, who I'm assuming you probably yes. know, she yes, she, know she wrote the book Woman at, Women at Church and um, sort of addressed a lot of the things that you kind of outlined just now and, and recognizing and, and reading her words and being like, yeah, hey, why don't this isn't doctrine. This is tradition. This is, you know, choice by the individual leaders. There really are more opportunities for women at church to have those sort of leadership positions. And I think the church as a whole has started to move some of those things. But definitely there are areas and pockets who have said, yeah, of course, we've always done it this way. And other places who are saying, man, we are finding so much power in being able to do this. Absolutely. And and just, you know, throughout time, and I, I speak about this um, quite often, that when you look at the research, boys in general are socialized much more often to see themselves as future leaders than girls are. And you especially have seen that really in the church setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The boys just uh, see other leaders, they're, they're ready for that. Young women have not, girls and young women. And I, I love some of the changes even in the curriculum, right, mm-hmm. for the young women that has happened in, in past years trying to to get them more prepared for missions and, and the other kinds of leadership roles. So I think there really is movement. And what I, what I know, and I think, you know, our prophet today really knows strongly is that it will take moving forward to, to have the church spread throughout the earth, you know, all of the prophecies, it will take not just men, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it will take everybody. And it will take the leadership, the voices of boys and girls, young men, young women, men, women, sisters, brothers, to do the work the Lord needs us to do moving forward, not just a certain segment, not just white people, but um, it takes everybody. So in my opinion, you know, through the years, I've really felt like we need to prepare everybody. Um, I have a broad definition of leadership, mm-hmm. and we really need to prepare everybody, all girls and boys, to to use their voice, to be confident, to be ready to step forward and to help in the Lord's work. It's a, it's a fascinating tightrope line, though, because I think for some people, they start to get kind of anxious around this, because if they truly walk out kind of these leadership things, then questions around uh, ordination and priesthood start to come into to mind and to why, you know, why women couldn't have the priesthood or, you know, serving in, in these different things, why there wouldn't be those opportunities in that way. How, as a woman in the church, do you 
sort of parse those things out where there can be leadership that isn't ordained in the priesthood or, you know, what are your feelings? Yeah, you know, I don't mess in that area too much, but what, what has been fun for me, though, the last, I can't even remember, maybe three or four years ago, that more statements on, on understanding women's role in the priesthood mm-hmm. and how women do have priesthood power in different ways, not ordained in in certain ways, but I love the talk, I think it was by um, by Elder Oaks a while ago about uh, women serving missions, and he said, well, what power would it be? You know, if it's not the priesthood that that, that women are serving missions right. um, and have that authority to do so. You know, when it comes down to, you know, if, if the leaders of the church, women and men, mostly men, um, really understand those things, we do talk differently. We provide opportunities differently. When it comes down to the nitty-gritty of, of women holding the priesthood and so forth, I, I don't get, I don't wrestle in that too much. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is this. I know God loves women just as much as men. And I know God needs women to prepare and be able to lead in communities and areas just as much as men, specifically moving forward. One of the quotes that I use often from um, a a really great talk in 2015 before uh, Nelson became the prophet, you know, it's called the plea to sisters. Mm -hmm. And what he said is this, generation is distinct from any other generation of women throughout time. And when I think of that, I think, you know, back to your comment about President Benson's talk and women should do this and, and, you know, really be within that box. You know, women are different um, today. The expectations of women, what we need women to do is not exactly what we needed women to do even 10 years ago or 20 or 100 years ago, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's distinct. And then when I give firesides, I, I also share a, a, a quote from Bednar that said in 2014, and you've seen this come to pass, that we, if the Lord is hastening His work, we can't keep doing things the same way we've always done that. Right. And then I close with a quote that I love from the book of Sherry Dew's book, uh, Women in the Priesthood, where she says, the moment we unleash, unleash, I, I don't remember word for word, covenant-keeping women, committed or covenant-keeping women, the church will change overnight. Hmm. And so I think, okay, this is, you know, we're not supposed, none of us are supposed to be doing the exact same things people 10, 20, 30, 40 years do. It, it's changed. Society has changed. So we're distinct as women now. Things are going to change. And when we can really unleash this energy and the goodness of really committed women in the church, things are going to change. And I still believe, I think things are starting, but I think we're just barely moving the needle. And we need to just shift that needle totally. Yeah, I want to take another break real quick. And when we come back, uh, rest not, you know, Susan has prepared a book that we're going to be able to uh, talk a little bit about, a way that you can get it and, uh, and what that book might help us do. We'll come back and talk about her book in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Hi, friends. Dan, the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. I get a lot of emails with feedback from customers. Here's one. Dear Dan, I just had the best experience ever. I bought a computer from Shane at your State Street store. I asked several what I thought were really stupid questions. Shane was super courteous and made me feel comfortable through the whole process. 
People need to understand how important it is to support a local company, especially when your experience is so good. PC Laptops really does love me. Signed, satisfied. I love hearing feedback like that. It really just gives me the chills. It's the whole reason why I got into the computer business in the first place. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop for as low as $7.99, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. That means if anything goes wrong, we're going to take care of you. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we really do love you. Here on the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember that if you love the Cultural Hall, you like to visit with other folks who love it as much as you do, you can find the Cultural Hall back row. It is a private group that you have to ask to be a part of over on Facebook, and we have all sorts of tangential, nerdy, off-subject conversations around each of the episodes, or if there's something within the news of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we'll put it in there. We have chats around it, and we would love for you to join us in that group. You can find it searching on Facebook, the Cultural Hall back row. Susan, your book is called A Future Only God Can See for You, a guide for teen and young adult women on preparing to lead. First of all, uh, spare no word for that title. That is one long title, but give me an idea. <laughs> give me an idea about what that book uh, hopes to accomplish and how it functions. It was it was really hard to make it shorter. Yeah. I just I really wanted people to know, but I love that title. It really comes from, it's not perfectly word for word, but but uh, Elder Irene um, uh, made a statement uh, about preparing through education that was pretty close to that. So I love it. A future only God can see for you. So, um, and but then I wanted people to know that it was really for teens and young adult women. So on preparing to lead, but uh, but it really will be good for any any young women. So. Um, I really have felt called to do this book for a while, and then this publisher, Cedar Fort, really started asking me to do something, especially for young women and and young adult women Mm -hmm. as well. And so I've taken all this stuff from all these years and really put it together, and I I love it. I love it, and um, and it's coming out soon. and we'll be out before the holidays. And what I do in this book really is to first set the stage on on why God needs women to lead mm-hmm. and, and what leadership means and why it's beneficial to have women and men working together. And then also, what what does leadership mean in terms of what are the opportunities around us in church, but other, you know, political roles, um, in schools, you know, all kinds of different ways in communities to lead. Um, so that's how I really start. And, and uh, the great thing is I was able to, I've been collecting quotes from church leaders for decades on this topic. Mm-hmm. So I was able to pull those out and really set the stage nicely. And then I just uh, really start going through, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you prepare to lead? So I have a chapter on confidence, a chapter on understanding your gifts, talents, and strengths, one mm-hmm. on mindset, one on education, how to how to figure out your purpose and calling and how to strengthen your leadership identity. So those are the first couple of parts. And then, then I have chapters on some challenges and you could probably guess some of the main challenges when you think about young women today, social media, body image, mental health. And I have a unique chapter that, that I worked hard on called mixed messages. (laughs) Tell me what you mean just for clarity's sake. On mixed messages? Yeah. Sometimes you do, yeah, you do 
get these mixed messages sometimes that that you should, you know, go to college and do these things, yet you should just prepare to be at home. Mm-hmm. And these that that either or kind of of mentality. Um, so yeah, I address a number of things there, and then I finish off by really talking about throughout the book. I really emphasize personal revelation, and my last chapter is just called "The Road Less Traveled." Mm-hmm. When you really a sister in the church, and hopefully it won't be less traveled in the next five or ten years, yeah. that maybe it's more common that we do that. We still are seeing, you know, not as many Latter-day Saint women stepping forth and running for public office and doing more visible things in leadership in the community. Yet, when you look at some of the most recent in the last few years, quotes and, and recommendations and calls from our church leaders, that's what they're asking us to do. And they don't say just men. They say men and women. So uh, thank you for I'm just excited for it to be out, and and there's not another book like this, and so I think it'll make a really good contribution. And in a couple of months, I'll have a workbook that out that'll help young women leaders and others, and just for yourself even, go through and actually have journaling and different activities that go along with that as well. I appreciate that you said that uh, just for yourself as well as you're talking about like confidence and, and body image and some of these things. Like, uh, you know, I know some of those things are things that I struggle with. And I'm like, well, come on, why does this book have to be a young adult women <laughs> prepared to lead? I could benefit from this. Obviously, knowing that, I, that any of us I could access think, it. Yes, absolutely. But but I don't think there are books like this out for young men. You bring up such an interesting point, Richie. Mm hmm. Well, now you've got your work cut out for you uh, as you look towards you that. Uh, and I love also the idea of a workbook because I think sometimes there's these things that are like, oh, yeah, the principles. And then we try and instill them in our own selves and go, I don't know. I mean, Susan's right. I feel it. I know what she's saying is true. But how do I actually um, practically apply this into what I'm doing? Something that you said uh, draws this question out of me. You feel particularly called to write this book. If it's not too personal, I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Well, throughout my whole journey, I have been, I feel called to do the thing, to to go through and get my education. I kept going to get a doctorate degree. Mm -hmm. And I I never really knew, you know, why, but I knew I needed to do this to prepare to do certain things. And then I've, I've just really been pulled towards certain topics. And and, uh, yeah, I've had in the last couple of years, um, I've written scholarly books. I have those published. And in 2017, I said, this is my last one. I don't want to do this. I feel called to continue my, my scholarly research, but to do more speaking and different things in, in a Latter-day Saint context. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and interestingly, I just kept putting off writing this book because I've been so busy with other things. And in March, I just said, this is it. I'm going to start blocking out time. And I'll tell you, it just came. It came fast, and it came furious, and and I just feel called to do it. I feel like this is the time where women, young women, girls, um, need to shift and really see themselves as leaders and know that they not only can, but they should become, use use their voices, get confidence, and do what Heavenly Father needs them to. So I feel very, um, even my whole journey with starting from education till now, 
I feel like it's what God needed me to do. And I, and I have to tell you, Richie, I have been judged by people in the church. I'm right? sure. Like, why do you need a doctorate degree? You're, mm. just, you're, you're supposed to take care of kids. Why do you need that? And I've had that question through the years, and I learned how to answer that really well. Do you want to know yes. the answer? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. okay. What I finally did, this was in Minnesota when I was in my, had a woman, I was in my doctoral work, but. But I finally just leaned into this woman and said to her, she said, well, why? Why are you leaving quote marks, leaving your kids? And by the way, I was home with my kids most of the time. Why are you leaving leaving your kids? And I just leaned in and said to her, I looked at her right in the eyes and said, because God told me to. Yeah. And that is, you have to do, I really fought myself for years, this is kind of personal, like tried to get myself to fit in this box that I saw that all good Latter-day Saint women look a certain way. And I really, honestly, prayed to Heavenly Father for a lot of years saying, why did you make me wrong? Help me like cooking and sewing more. <laughs> Help me <laughs> like these things that are in the box. And finally, you know, I came to a point, I had some really strong revelation in the temple one day, that the Lord did not make me wrong. He made me right. He just needed me to do be different to help him with the work he needed to do. And now I'm just like, let's not judge each other. Let's really try to just give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't know what's in their patriarchal blessing. We don't know what God's telling them to do. So why do we judge? So it's easy to judge, though. I still judge. I'm trying not to. I'm getting older. I'm getting better a little bit. But But, but very too much. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, very well said, though, and I appreciate you sharing something so personal w- with me. Uh, the name of the book is A Future Only God Can See for You, A Guide for Teen and Young Adult Women on Preparing to Lead. We'll have a link for it in the show notes for this episode, and a shout-out to the folks, uh, our friends over at Cedar Fort, uh, for working with Susan, for making this this uh, you know calling from God possible. You know, Susan, from being here in the Cultural Hall before, that there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps in, so I'll I'll ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Uh, my calling is I'm a gospel doctor and teacher. That'd be an awesome so I, class I to sit it. in. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Actually, gospel doctor and teacher. There you go. <laughs> I do love it. I love it. Uh, and then the final question we ask you to interpret however you may like, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Um, personal revelation for me. I really have strengthened that through throughout my life to realize that, you know, that, that each of our calls from God is different. Each of us have different. And that the most important thing we can do is to do what He wants us to do. And, and I, sometimes I put in heaven, our heaven, heavenly parents want mm. us to do, right. and not necessarily what we think we're supposed to do based on society or what our parents, you know, other people, including our parents, tell us we should do, but uh, rely on our relationship with our Savior. Well, Susan, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. 
In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.